Well, we are in our our last sermon this morning on the book of Revelation. It's been quite a ride since the beginning of the year. I've learned a lot. I hope that you've learned a lot. Uh, For those of you who have studied this book a lot in the past, thank you for uh, your your comments, your suggestions, your questions, your challenges, your your wonderings. It's been really helpful for me as I've continued to put this uh, sermon series together. Um, And... It's really been been my hope that we would understand the book of Re- book of Revelation um, as a book that speaks to us in our life of discipleship today. What does it mean for us to follow the Lamb wherever He goes? And we have talked a lot over the course of the last six months about why it is good to follow the Lamb while the world follows the dragon. And today we get to hear what is, I think, the very best reason for following the Lamb wherever He goes. He is leading us somewhere. He is leading us to a new heavens and a new earth where we will dwell forever together with Him. And so let's hear, let's pray together, and then we will dive into Revelation 21 and 22. Lord, we thank You for this wonderful book. This wonderful book that tells us about who you are and what you're doing in the world and tells us about who we are and how we can follow you in the midst of trial and pain, how we can overcome. And Lord, I pray today that you would give us a very fresh vision for the future that you have for us. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So do you remember how we, we started the beginning of this year? We read through the entire book of Revelation on one Sunday morning. Do you remember that? Seems like a long time ago, but that was a great day. And the reason we did that is because at the very beginning of the book, it says, Blessed is anyone who reads aloud the prophecies in this book, and blessed are those who hear them. And we're going to do a little bit more of that today. I would like for you to to sit back and to hear some of Revelation 21 and 22 read. I'm not going to read the entire two chapters, but I'm going to read some parts of it. And for you to simply imagine and to receive this vision of our eternal future. Here's what John saw. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God, and he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the beginning, the alpha, I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all of this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. 
but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, and I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. And on the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east and three on the north, three on the south and three on the west. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations. And on them were the names of the 12 apostles and the Lamb. Verse 22. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city did not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anything who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. And the angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Amen. We've seen that there are a lot of, of strange and terrible and wonderful images in the book of Revelation, and the last two chapters is no different. John shares these images, and he, he mixes up all these pictures and these different metaphors to tell us what it will be like, to try to describe to us in human language what it's going to be like. John, for example, as he tries his best to communicate what he saw he he shows he says that the angel showed him the bride of christ and then what would you expect him to see after seeing the bride of christ you would expect to see a woman beautifully dressed but what does he go on to describe a city and this city isn't just any city but there's uh, one part that i skipped over that the city is shaped like a cube a perfect cube and it represents the cube shape of the Holy of Holies in the very central part of the temple. And so this 
bride of Christ that John sees is also a city, and it's also kind of like this temple. And then he also talks about it like a garden. And it's a garden with a river and the tree of life growing on both sides of the garden. It's this reminder of the Garden of Eden. And so in these few verses, as John describes the new heavens and the new earth, this heavenly city coming down out of heaven from God, he describes it as a bride city temple garden. And all these images are mixed up. In order to communicate this vision, John takes all sorts of images and references from the rest of the Bible, from the creation story in Genesis, from the prophets of Ezekiel and Isaiah and Zechariah and the Gospels, and he takes them and he, he mixes them up and he offers them to us and says, all of this good news that's been told to us from Genesis all the way until this book of Revelation, all of that good news, all of those images are right here. This is what I saw in my vision. Revelation 21 and 22 is the best that human language can do to describe how true and good and beautiful our future with God will be. Revelation 21 and 22 is John's vision of the new heavens and new earth. This is where the Lamb is leading us. It's a vision, a description of a healed world. God's creation healed of the ways that we have abused it, the ways that we've abused one another. It's healed of our the results of our own rebellion against God. It's a vision of nations no longer warring and marching against one another, but instead marching together, praising God and giving glory to him. It's a vision that includes kings that give glory to God rather than grasping after their own glory. It's a vision of human beings unified together. It's a vision of the broken relationship between humanity and God finally healed and mended. And this vision includes you. It's a vision of your broken relationship with God healed as God comes and wipes every tear away from our eye. He will be so near to you that he will do that tender act of a loving father and wiping every tear away from our eye. This is the future that we are waiting for. I want to, to spend a little bit of time rearranging maybe some of the, the mental furniture that we have in our, in our heads um, about what heaven is going to be like. I think we have some images that are kind of floating around in there that have been passed down to us in one way or another. And some of them are just fine, but they don't come from Revelation 21 and 22. And so I want to share a few things very specifically from Revelation 21 and 22 to guide our thoughts as we consider what we are waiting for and hoping for. The first is this. That Revelation 21 and 22 describes not the end but a new beginning. Not the end, but a new beginning. John heard a voice that said, Behold, I am making all things new. The Bible ends where it began with God creating heavens and the earth. The whole Bible begins in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. It ends here in Revelation 21 with God recreating a new heavens and a new earth. What we are longing for is not an ending, but a new beginning. 
a new way for you and I to live together with one another, a new way for you and I to live with God, a new way for you and I to live in the way that we were meant to live in this world that he created. John's vision is not focused on what's going to happen at the end of our life now. His focus is on what this new kind of life is going to be. There is a new beginning coming, a new way of being with God that we don't fully experience now. A new way of being with one another that we don't fully experience right now. A new way of enjoying God's creation in a way that we don't quite experience now, but we will. It's inevitable. It's coming. And are you ready for it? Throughout the time in, in Revelation, I've just had these moments in my own prayer time or my own study time where I've had this, this feeling come over me. I think I've shared it a couple times with you that this feeling that it's, it's actually going to happen. I'm going to be there with you and with God. It's actually, it's going to happen. It's inevitable. It's on its way. This life is a preparation for this new kind of life that's coming. A couple months ago, I highlighted this frequent theme. It's all over the place in the book of Revelation. That one day you and I are going to reign together with Jesus in this new heaven and new earth. We are going to rule. We are going to have responsibility. We're going to have a purpose. Do you remember Jesus' parable of the faithful steward? When the faithful stewards come back and they show uh, the, the master that they had taken what he had given them and that they had made five more. He says to them, well done, good and faithful steward. You've been faithful with small things. Now take charge of five cities or ten cities or whatever was appropriate for that faithful servant. We are created to be creative. We were created and given a God-given purpose in his universe, and those purposes will continue in this new, this new way of living with God and with one another. In one of his letters to the Corinthians, Paul, in this very matter-of-fact way, says, Don't you know that one day you're going to judge angels? I have no idea what that means. No idea. And the Bible really doesn't talk much about it, but it seems like the people in Corinth had some idea what that was about. And someday we're going to judge angels. We're going to have purpose and authority and agency. Our daughter, Joy, um, about a month ago, she decided to begin reading through her Bible and writing um, a journal that was everything that the Bible said about heaven. And uh, so she had spent some time doing this, and she was sharing it with me. And one, um, one afternoon, we were in our kitchen, and she was talking to me about some of those things. And we were having fun imagining what it's going to be like as she was describing some of what she was learning. And I told her a story, which I think that some of you that I've told before, is that um, my, my fellow pastor friend, Tony Opliger, has this idea about the new heavens and the new earth that's been... Um, captivated my imagination. By the way, yesterday, 
Tony and I gave our 900th high five in a row. For 900 days in a row, we've given each other a high five. So anyway, it's a true story. It's a true story. You can ask me why we do that later. But um, anyway, Tony has this, this imagination about the new heavens and the new earth that he wonders that if maybe why the universe is so big is that in the way that human beings were called to uh, take dominion and um, take uh, rule over the earth and, and to subdue it, that maybe, just maybe, the, the, the universe is so big because we're going to do that everywhere. Uh, that we're going to go to Venus and take all the gases of Venus and, with God's help, bring them into order and help them glorify God. I don't know if that's true. It's not in the Bible. It's just thinking about what might be. Why in the world would God create the universe so big? And so I'm telling Joy, this is what, this is what Mr. Opelger thinks. And, and Joy just kind of looked at me, and she kind of had this kind of interested look on her face. And she looked down, and she thought for about five or ten seconds. And she looked at me, and she said, I think that's right. Maybe. We're going to have authority, agency, purpose forever and ever and ever. We're going to reign and to rule. So, Revelation 21 and 22 talks about not the end, but a new beginning. Second, our ultimate hope is not escape, but resurrection. The ultimate Christian hope is not escape, but resurrection. The Greek philosophers, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, you've maybe heard those names before, maybe remember them from high school or college and forgot about them. I've forgotten about them. But um, they talked about the goal of life being our souls escaping from our body. And that's really the goal of life is to find some way for our souls to escape from our body. Because in Greek philosophy, the body was a bad thing. It was, a, it was called a prison for the soul or a tomb for the soul. But in the Bible, the body is a good thing. It's fallen and corrupted, but it's good. It was made by God. God in the incarnation took on a human body. And he redeemed it and he raised it from the dead and he glorified it. And someday we will share in his resurrected body. We will have the same kind of resurrected body that Jesus has right now. Now... When a believer in Jesus dies, they go to be with God. Paul is very clear in the book of Philippians that when we die, that there's some part of our conscious existence that goes and is in the presence of God. And what Paul says is that that, uh, that existence there in the presence of God is better by far than the world we experience right now. But that time in between our earthly deaths and the resurrection is what theologians call the intermediate state. The time in between death and the final resurrection that we're waiting for. And that place we go to when we die in the presence of God is a good place. It is in heaven, up with God, if you, if you want to call it that. But that intermediate state is not the final hope that we have as Christians. It's not the new beginning that we are waiting for. Our final hope is that our bodies will be resurrected like the resurrected body of Jesus. And when Jesus rose from the dead, his body was recognizable by his disciples. They saw him. The scars on his hands were still there. But it was also a very different kind of body, too. He just kind of would show up in a room, and they wouldn't know where he came from. 
It's a very different kind of body, but it was a body that was recognizable to his disciples. Our final hope is God's redemption and resurrection of the world, including giving us good and perfect and incorruptible, not able to be destroyed bodies. And these are good and perfect, not because they look like some dude or dudette on a magazine. That's an example of the dragon's counterfeit of what bodies are supposed to be. Our bodies will be made good and perfect and beautiful by God. They will be eternal and incorruptible, not able to fail. They will be good and permanent as God intended them to be. Third, as we kind of think a little bit about how Revelation 21 and 22 talks about our eternal future, is that our our ultimate hope is not us going up, but heaven coming down. The new beginning that we are waiting for, the ultimate hope, the one that we are really waiting for, the end that is a new beginning, is the hope that heaven will come down. John begins this vision saying, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. This is an answer to Jesus' prayer that we pray. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That will finally and forever be true in every way. That God's place and our place will be the same place. That his presence will fill all of creation. That the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That earth and heaven will be one. Earth and heaven will be one. And this is good news. This is good news for all of creation. It's good news for all of creation. In Romans chapter 8, Paul tells us that all of creation, all of creation is groaning for the sons of God to be revealed. All of creation is waiting to be redeemed. It's not only people, but also trees and grass and sun and moon and oceans and fish and salamanders and lions and tigers and bears. Pretty good. All of creation is waiting to be redeemed. Our sin did something to creation. It disrupted the order that God brought to it, and it caused there to be chaos and depth, death and corruption in it. In the first, uh, in Revelation 21 and 22, it says that in this new beginning, that there will no longer be any curse on creation. Part of the curse of our sin came onto nature, came onto the ground, to the soil that we walk on. God said that cursed is the ground because of you. Thorns and thistles and weeds will grow up because of our sin. There is a way in which creation, the ground itself, is hostile towards us as humans because of our sin. We have to toil and battle with it in order to get our food And to bring it into order. Any of you who has a garden knows this. Drought and natural disasters are the result of the curse that came from our sin. But the vision of this new beginning is that there will no longer be any curse. There will be a good and harmonious relationship between human beings and the created world all around us. The ground and the seas and the wind will work together with us to bring glory to God. Revelation 21 and 22 is good news for all of creation. 
He is going to heal the whole world and set it free from its chaos and death and corruption. Second, it is good news for the nations. Good news for the nations. Revelation 21 says that the kings of the nations are going to bring their splendor into the city. Revelation 22 says that the leaves of the tree of life will be for the healing of the nations. How often do you hear good news about the nations? Almost never, unless it's a go moment at Broadway. Then hear some good news about the nations. We don't hear much good news about the nations, but Revelation is filled, absolutely filled with good news about and for the nations about tribes and languages and peoples gathered together around the throne. The gospel is good news for individual people, and it's good news for the tribes and the tongues and the languages and the nations. Under the curse, it seems like nations only know war and competition and conflict. But when God comes to bring his healing, the nations will come together, bring their splendor together to glorify God. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. And this is all good news for me and you. Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people And God himself will be with them and be their God. This is one of my favorite passages in all of scripture. It's such a tender and intimate picture of who God is and will be for us. That God himself, our good father, the example of both strength and tenderness that all of us fathers long to be like, That God himself will be so near to us that he will wipe every tear from our eye. Revelation 21 and 22 is a big story. A big story that talks about creation and gems and jewels and kings and nations. But it doesn't miss you and me. It includes you and me in our own particular joys and struggles. Those aren't missed. You are not forgotten by God. Your pain and your disappointments will be tended to by God himself in the new heavens and the new earth. What a wonderful gift. It's good news for creation. It's good news for the nations. And it's good news for you and for me. So friends, right now we live in this time where we are waiting for this to come in all of its fullness. We live now in a time before Revelation 21 and 22 is fulfilled. But now we live in a time where sin and death and violence and dishonesty and corrupt leadership and failed marriages and temptations and addictions and death, they're all still very much a part of our lives. We live in a time where the world around us is feverishly following the dragon, and you and I are tempted to do the same thing every single day. So what does the book of Revelation teach us about faithfulness in this time as we wait for this new beginning that God is making? Three things that I want to say as we finish our time. 
First is that we would pray for and be ready for Jesus to come again. Revelation 22, I'm going to read verses 16 through 21. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you the testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes words away from this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. And John responded, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. He is coming soon. John heard Jesus say, yes, I am coming soon. And John's soul agreed. Amen. Amen is not just God see you later at the end of our prayers. Amen is agreement. It is yes. It is so be it. And when John heard Jesus say, yes, I am coming soon, he said, amen, I agree, so be it, come, Lord Jesus. Are you ready for his second coming? Wait a second. (laughs) When you consider the realities of judgment spoken about in this book, are you ready? Have you really turned away from the ways of the dragon? And with your whole heart, are you following the lamb? What part of you is resisting today? What part of you hesitates? What part of you is holding back or hiding or not fully giving yourself to him? Does your whole soul When you hear that the Lord is coming back, does your whole, every part of you, does it say, amen? Yes, I agree, so be it. Or is there some part of you that is still fearful because of that thing? Or in apathy, or in resistance resistance to him? Offer all of that to him today. We like to offer the good parts of ourselves to God. He wants all of you, every single part of you. He wants to take the good and the bad, and he wants to refine you today and make you more like himself so that you will be fully ready and ready to say amen at his coming. Because the judgments described in this book are real. They are coming and inevitable too, and we need to be ready for them. And we're ready for those by repenting quickly. This is a book about God's judgment. The Lord is coming with his judgment, and those who remain in their sin and in unrepentance will face the wrath of his judgment. Repentance is a gift. It brings life. Friends, the Lord already knows that you screwed up. It's not going to be a surprise to him when you tell him about it. And so you don't have to hide it from him. 
Repentance means to turn around. He wants you to turn around and to come to him. You don't have to live in guilt or shame. Freedom and grace are both available to you today. The judgment of God is a terrible thing, and it's something that we should fear. But the scriptures say that perfect love casts out all fear. God's plan and purpose for you, his desire for you, is to experience him in his love. He wants to wipe away every tear from your eye, so don't turn your face away from him. Repent and turn toward him and allow him to do that for you. Third thing, as we consider what this book has to say to us, is to remember who is at the center of all reality. Revelation tells us that Jesus is at the center of all reality. Revelation 4 and 5, that incredible vision of the heavenly throne room, reminds us that at the center of unbroken praise is the Lamb. He is at the center of unbroken praise. We like to make all sorts of other things or people or places the center. The source of power and meaning and purpose and significance. We think that those things come from Hollywood or from Washington, D.C. or from the universities. That those are the places that determine what is good and right and true. But Jesus is the one who determines what is good and right and true. He is at the center of all reality. He's at the center of unbroken praise. And it's our call to daily worship him. To daily join together with the angels and all of creation worshiping him who is at the center. And make sure that our lives are attached to him who is at the center. And we don't attach ourselves to any other earthly thing. Any idol, any idea, any ideology. That we attach ourselves to him who is at the center, and that we live our whole life of worship from that place of knowing that we are attached to the one who determines what is good and true and beautiful and right. That's our calling as followers of Jesus in this world where it's so tempting to follow the way of the dragon because it's easier, because it seems safer, because it's more beneficial to our life in this world. We are called to follow the lamb, and he is leading us to the new heavens and the new earth. Stay attached to him, the one at the center. Lord, we thank you for this good book. We thank you that in your great creativity and through the inspiration of your spirit that you caused John to write it, to see these visions, and to give us a chance now 2,000 years later to read it, to learn from it, to grow from it, and for it to allow, allow it to increase our hope in what's coming. Lord, I, I pray that we would be ready, that we would be quick repenters, and that we would be people who hold on to you who is at the center. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.